A new study has found diversity, equity, and inclusion, also known as DEI, programs in universities, lead to even more prejudice and bigotry. Housing starts in Edmonton hit a new low, even as its population balloons due to an increase of immigrants. MPs shut down a conservative motion to condemn the attempted arson at the Blessed Sacrament Parish Church in Regina. Hello Canada, it's Wednesday, February 14th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Lindsay Shepard. And I'm Isaac Lamaru. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Diversity, equity, and inclusion programs in universities lead to even more prejudice and bigotry, a new study has found. A recent research report published by the Aristotle Foundation for Public Policy authored by social scientist David Millard Haskell from Wilfrid Laurier University, cast doubt on the effectiveness of the practices touted as solutions to systemic racism. Haskell's study, titled Reality Check, critically examines existing scholarship on DEI initiatives, aiming to ascertain their impact on societal harmony and prejudice reduction. Drawing from a wide array of research published in leading social scientific journals, including contributions from prestigious institutions like Harvard University and Princeton University, Haskell's findings challenge the prevailing narrative that DEI instruction leads to lasting, positive behavioral changes. The report highlights several key concerns, including how past research suggests the effectiveness of DEI instruction suffers from methodological weaknesses, including issues with internal and external validity and indications of publication bias. You can read Cosman Georgia's exclusive at www.tnc.news. Isaac, do you think this new report will deter universities in Canada from implementing DEI policies now that more data is in? I'm not sure, Lindsay. Uh, I've mentioned this before, but obviously university students are the very same students that eventually become the professors, deans, and faculty within the universities. And I just don't know that people within universities dislike DEI programs as much as the unbiased onlookers from the outside that can see the prejudice and bigotry within them. But at the same time, research studies are obviously a huge part of universities. And when studies begin to release showing the downfall of DEI programs, maybe there is hope that they will begin to fall by the wayside. Well, the thing is, I I would point out, Isaac, is that it's a whole industry, DEI, right? I mean, these DEI administrators, their offices get more and more bloated every year. Um, The top DEI officials make six-figure salaries, really, really cushy salaries, and their business is ideological indoctrination. So their success depends on how many people they can indoctrinate. And even, this is just a small anecdote, but in British Columbia, there's something called the Stronger BC Future Skills Grant. So um, you can get up to $3,500 per person in British Columbia to take um, a certificate or a diploma at a university. And there are quite a few, you know, certificates in equity and anti-racism, like that kind of thing, where the government will pay you to go study that. Um, So again, it's a whole industry. A lot of people are making a lot of money indoctrinating other people. But Isaac, we're seeing universities in the U.S. starting to ditch DEI policies, But are we seeing the same thing in Canada? 
Yeah, Lindsay, we've seen a backlash uh, against DEI programs on not only American campuses, but also corporations and elsewhere within the America. The first state to enact an anti-DEI law was North Dakota in April 2023, and they banned diversity statements and mandatory DEI training in educational institutions. Five other states followed soon after. The Supreme Court then ruled in June 2023 that the affirmative action practices of American colleges and universities was unconstitutional as it limited racial preferences in enrollment. Then, following Hamas's October 7 attacks, woke activists came out and claimed that Jews were oppressors. This led to Elon Musk and Bill Ackman speaking out against the DEIology, and several wealthy donors announced that they would no longer donate to universities like Harvard, who fully embraced DEI. Look, universities in the States cannot survive without donors. If they stand up against DEI, of course, that has no chance of surviving if their donors start to leave. Comparatively, though, not a single province has passed anti-DEI legislation, though Alberta did talk about potentially removing it at the Alberta UCP's AGM. But Canadian schools rely much less on private donations than universities in the USA. Uh, and if their private donors take a stand, frankly, they have much less to lose. And under Trudeau's government, funding streams such as the Canada Research Chairs Program, which donates up to $311 million per year, requires universities to impose all sorts of DEI measures to receive funding. Also, interestingly, when thinking about how the Supreme Court ruled DEI basically unconstitutional, Canada's Charter of Rights and Freedoms exempts affirmative action programs from its anti-discrimination provisions. While True North has reported extensively on the drawbacks of DEI, Legacy media has been quiet or even promoted DEI initiatives in some cases. However, I still feel that more and more people are starting to realize the damage caused by DEI, and I'm hopeful that it will soon become a thing of the past. Do you agree, Lindsay? I might not be as hopeful as you. I think we are decades and decades behind anything like North Dakota would do. And by the way, just the fact that they were the first to pass legislation about no DEI statements and all that, I mean, that makes me want to move to North Dakota. Of course, there's no way for me to do that because I'm not a U.S. citizen. But um, yeah, we are decades and decades behind. Can, I think Canadian culture has something to do with it, too. We apparently pride ourselves on being so nice. And the thing with diversity and inclusion initiatives is they, they're so nice, right? Like we're looking out for other people and we're making sure everyone is cared for. It's so nice. That's not what's really happening. And the thing with Canadian culture is people are compliant. They don't want to be radical. I mean, let's say a province announced that they were going to ban DEI statements in university job postings, for example. So you can't say something like um, only disabled, indigenous, and women of color can apply. Let's say you banned that. I mean, there would be outcry. People would think that that's just radical because in Canada, that's just, um, we're, we're a very, what's the word? sheepish people or something like that. Edmonton saw, quote, electric migration spurred population growth in 2023, according to a new study released by the Conference Board of Canada. Record federal immigration programs and the city's booming economy are among the reasons behind the discrepancy. The report states, quote, high federal immigration targets are delivering international newcomers while the city's healthy economy and affordable housing is attracting other Canadians. In October, the Edmonton City Council approved a new zoning bylaw. The previous zoning limited many residential zones to single-family homes. Three-story apartments, townhouses, row houses, and duplexes with up to eight units will now be allowed in any residential area. 
Still, housing starts in Edmonton fell approximately 10% between 2022 and 2023. Alberta's peak of housing starts was in 1978 at around 17,000. This peak was mirrored in 2015. In 2023, that value had fallen by almost 23%. The Conference Board of Canada expects a modest uptick of housing starts in 2025, with about a 10% increase by 2028. Lindsay, Edmonton isn't the only city struggling with the increase of newcomers. How can government build more houses to address this issue? Poilievre has suggested tying the number of houses built to how much federal money they get. There's also reducing taxes for cost of building supplies and reducing red tape municipally. Well, Isaac, I guess I don't really see it as a matter of how can government build more houses to address this issue, because I see it as, well, how can we take a breather and take a pause and not accept so many uh, newcomers? Because, I mean, this is the problem is population growth is far exceeding the housing that we're able to build and the housing we have. I mean, it was just last week that Benjamin Tao, who's the deputy chief economist with CIBC World Markets, he said in a report that Canada needs to build 5 million extra units by 2030 on top of annual construction. So that's in six years <laughs> that we need 5 million extra units. And like the current estimates we have are 3.5 million additional homes. That that estimate has been off. We actually need 1.5 million more homes than previously thought on top of annual construction. And this economist, Benjamin Tal, he says that this shortage in housing in Canada boils down to a forecasting failure. He said the housing shortage issue is largely a planning issue with official planning targets falling notably short of actual population growth. You cannot build an adequate supply of housing for population growth that you fail to forecast. So I think, you know, when we read reports like this, I mean, it's clear that the population rate, the population growth rate, which is almost entirely, I think it's like something like 99% brought on by immigration. And also in August of 2023, this same economist, Benjamin Tal of the CIBC, he said that Canada is undercounting the number of non-permanent residents in Canada by about 1 million. And this is um, mostly due to people overstaying their visas and not leaving. So with the underestimation of non-permanent residents, the report said that from a housing perspective, that's the equivalent of more than two years of building capacity. So with the number of people that are that are overstaying and that aren't being counted. So again, I don't think we should frame the issue as, you know, how can we ramp up building more houses? Because the issue is maybe we actually just need to take a breather and say, okay, how can we reframe our immigration targets so that it actually makes sense for the rate that we can go at? And I know Polyev has said he's going to come up with a common sense formula that ties the number of houses to the number of people that are coming, um, but he will not commit to lowering immigration targets. And so it makes me think that whenever he says, you know, he wants to link the number of houses built to um, the number of people that are coming, well, he just wants to ramp up both numbers. He wants to ramp up the rate of immigration, and then he will also try his best to ramp up the rate of housing. And I guess we'll see if he'll be able to do it if he becomes prime minister. Yeah, Lindsay, also shown in this research was that Alberta hit an, a record of interprovincial migration, with most of those people coming from British Columbia or Ontario seeking affordable housing. And I'm just curious if you think this housing bubble will have uh, any effect on the country in terms of people moving province to province like that. Yeah, you're raising a good point, Isaac. I mean, Calgary used to be thought of as somewhere that is has affordable housing, and it's not anymore. Um, it's kind of up there 
with, you know, not as high as Vancouver and Toronto, but it ranks, you know, just under them. Edmonton could be on the same route because I'll be honest, you know, as a British Columbian, sometimes I'll, you know, scroll through real estate listings in in BC um, and the prices are outrageous. And I know it's not very realistic that I'll ever be able to um, buy a house here. So, you know, at the back of my mind, I do think, well, you know, there's always Edmonton like that. That remains an option. So I'm sure there are other Canadians who have the same idea. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. A conservative MP is blaming the liberal NDP coalition for blocking his motion to condemn an attempted arson at the Blessed Sacrament Parish Church in Regina, Saskatchewan. Before MP Corey Tochor could finish reading his proposed motion, which required unanimous consent to condemn the attack, MPs from the Liberal and NDP benches yelled, no. Tochor said it was a, quote, shameful display. The MP posted on X, Quote, Yesterday, I asked for unanimous consent to condemn the attempted arson at the Regina Church, but they did not allow me to. It is shameful that this NDP liberal coalition refuses to condemn these hateful attacks and will shut us down when we attempt to raise the issue. Regina firefighters rushed to the historic 118-year-old Catholic Church, which had been set on fire by a mask-wearing arsonist early Friday morning. Security footage of the attempted arson was released later that day by Father James Henches, a priest at the Blessed Sacrament Parish Church. The masked arsonist can be seen approaching the office entrance of the church, dumping the contents of a jerry can on the back steps, and setting the church on fire before running away. Firefighters saved the historic church, the oldest Catholic church in Regina, from being completely destroyed. Isaac, is it fair to say that so many of these MPs, mostly liberals and NDP, are anti-Christian? I mean, they can't even condemn a church burning. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't know, Lindsay, that's tough to say. Uh, but in my opinion, it, it comes down to these MPs and others alike, uh, such as some people in universities labeling every situation with two groups, the oppressor and the oppressed. But of course, this is ironic to me because I don't see how you could label someone that is being targeted by having their churches attacked as an oppressor. I think part of it, Isaac, is if they were to condemn the church burnings, well, their whole narrative would kind of fall apart because, yeah, okay, like this hasn't been connected back to the whole 215 unmarked graves. Residential schools were led by priests and nuns and they were burying children. They were uh, like abusing them en masse. And some people, I mean, right now I'm reading the book Grave Error by Tom Flanagan and Chris Champion, which was um, in part published by True North. And they talk about how the priests and nuns who ran the residential schools, they loved the children. And so I think if the liberals and NDP were to go along with the conservatives and condemn the church burning, well, the whole narrative would fall apart. Can you imagine the response from these MPs if a mosque or gurdwara were targeted? Do you see a double standard here? Yeah, Lindsay, I 100% uh, 
see a double standard. In fact, I cannot think of another religion outside of Christianity or Catholicism where MPs would not freak out if a single thing happened, let alone the appalling number of 100 church attacks since the claim of unmarked graves being found at the sites of former residential schools in 2021. Of course, no such graves have been found, but legacy media hasn't reported on that. Since True North began tracking attacks in 2021, at least 33 churches have been completely burned to the ground. These attacks are on Canadian soil. MPs are actively working against doing anything to support the affected individuals or even recognize them as we've seen with this motion. And while churches burn, Trudeau is silent, but he remains vocal about things happening overseas. That's it for today, folks. Make sure to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to share our work with your friends and neighbours. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Happy Valentine's Day!